Safety Third is a production of Duct Tape Then Beer. Patty. Elizabeth. Ski season is over. Mm. How sad are you? Well, it's not really over. There's just like more walking involved now that it's springtime. It just gets kind of harder and probably dumber. But I am excited for bike season and trail running and whatnot. Okay, running as in like, are you thinking of going for another ultra marathon? No, 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 no. Stop. Don't even bring that up. (laughs) I don't think I can take that. Yeah, that makes sense. Ultra marathons yeah. sound really terrible. Well, I I mean, I was the one that I signed up for, I was actually really looking forward to it. Weird. So I signed up for this. I know it was really it was it was a it was a strange time. <laughs> <laughs> I signed up for this 50 miler in 2017 after my 33rd birthday. Cause I think I freaked out about being 33, but I I also just I wanted to know if I was tough enough to do this thing. Or or really like if I had ever been tough at all in my life. And of course, I go like classic patty and I like shoot for the moon. And in this case, it was like, huh. Well, I am not a runner. In fact, I hate running. So I guess 50 miles seems reasonable. (laughs) Solid logic. Totally. Yeah, totally ridiculous. Bonehead move kind of like, okay, so in the first few weeks of training, I was just like going out for like mellow four or five mile loops, like no big deal. Yeah, that's not so bad. No, but I like, I didn't have a a training plan or like anything in place. It was just like, run, Patty, run. (laughs) And then one day I was like, hmm, okay, I wonder how far I can go. So I just like plotted along as far as I possibly could without really thinking about it. And then I just, Elizabeth, I just like ran in a straight line for like as long as I could. And then I was like, oh crap, I'm I'm so very tired and I'm so very far away from my home. It was like, dude, I ran like 15 miles or something just like off the couch. Why didn't you just call like a Lyft or an Uber? I was in the middle of nowhere. And I live in a small Colorado town. Like, we don't have those things here. Like, I just, like, totally destroyed myself. And, oh, God, I'm an idiot. And I just, like, limped back into my home and, like, fell down on the ground and couldn't move for, like, an hour. And I took a shower. And then I ate, like, seven boxes of pasta and, like, four gallons of ice cream. I stopped. I wasn't even full when I stopped. I just stopped because I, like, was, like, tired of eating. I was like bored my jaw hurts <laughs> well i don't know what's wrong i guess with the going hard thing isn't like completely on you like i mean thank you it sounds like a lot of people yeah. who go to the gym right after new year's day or like right yeah. before summer and they're yeah. like i can get like ready for swimsuit season in 15 yeah, totally. days yeah. Beach um, season. there's i mean there's <laughs> totally. got to be some really crazy numbers around new year's resolutions hang oh, on i just yeah, want to sure. look this up really fast so i don't okay. get my numbers wrong thank you google machine. okay so Forbes reported that only 25% of people stay committed to their resolutions after 30 days. Wow. And only 8% accomplish them. Yes. And then there's a, <laughs> there's a polling yeah. service called Harris Interactive. Yeah. They did a study in 2012, and it says that two-thirds of Americans who make a resolution focus it around fitness. Okay. And of those, over 70% give up. <laughs> that's that's not good 
That's a lot of people. That is a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Well, so that's like really interesting to me because with numbers like that, it's like, oh, what are the goals that these people are setting? Are they too big? Are they too hard to achieve? I mean, the the way I work is when I set my sights on a challenge, my approach is just like, okay, aim high, now go, now go, go, go. You know, I'm kind of fueled by this like... um Let's call it a 50-50 mix of stubbornness and a propensity for stupidity. <laughs> but like, I don't think it's even so much about achieving the goal. It's more about like an avoidance of looking silly, probably. Mm-hmm. But there's just got to be a better and definitely a less painful way to go about this. Like, So this is why I was so excited to talk with today's guests. Pals, We're chatting with Zara Davis, osteopath, acupuncturist, professional windsurfer, and windsurfing world speed record. I think it's pretty safe to call her the fastest woman on water. Generally, she's just a total badass. And Zara has this belief that really, really confuses me. I believe in modest goal setting. So how does setting goals prudently help us? Aren't goals supposed to be like these gigantic, mega, way out there things? Okay, let's dig into this, shall we, pals? I'm Patty O'Connell. And I'm Elizabeth Nakano. Welcome to Safety Third, a show about ideas and how we come to believe in them. Going fast is amazing. I think it's it's in my blood. The thing is about going fast on water is that first of all you're you're sort of fully in control of well actually I'm not sure that that's true but you feel fully in control of everything. <laughs> yeah, the um, illusion of control, it, right? Yeah. It, yeah, it's it's all about you, you know. But if you drive and I have driven, I've done some um my brother used to be a rally driver so I've done some some rally driving and some some bits and pieces like that. There's something about there being the the engine, the noise, the the something else has got you there. Whereas when you're windsurfing, there's something about nature, the quiet, the just the sound of the board over flat water, which is a sort of sort of noise. It's a it's a pitter patter along the chatter mm-hmm. along the bottom of the board. There's something about speeding along on water which feels so much quicker than if you're in a car or on some sort of mechanical device. What does it feel like, sound like, look like when you are cruising at over 50 miles an hour? Because I have seen your videos (laughs) and it looks like that it would just like pin your eyelids back. Yeah, and I think, first of all, I, I would not use the word cruising at over 50 mile an hour. At that point, you're, you know, you're properly balls out and your eyeballs are, <laughs> your eyeballs are rolling back in your head. I don't think there's, there's any, that cruising does not describe it. Um, right, yeah, okay. So, uh, you Hurtling, know. missling, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, what, you know, torpedoing, yeah, maybe. Yeah, it is, it is like being a cork out of a bottle because you, you start off, you can't start off broad to the wind. So the, the sailors that are listening to this will will realise that you've sort of got to be square onto the wind to get onto the board. Uh-huh. 
the, the board we're using, they're, they're tiny. Um, they don't float when you stand on them. So unlike when you when you go on holiday and you go windsurfing, you're standing there, you're pulling the sail up. Uh-huh. That that can't happen. I'm on something that's 40 centimetres wide um, that has very little volume. So it doesn't have enough foam in it to hold my weight up. Um, so it would sink straight to the bottom if I stood on it. So you have to use it a bit like a water ski, if you can imagine. It's a little bit bigger than a water ski, but actually not much. Um, and you use the sail as your boat um, and the sail sort of pings you out of the water. And what you hope is, is that you're going to be doing wind speed. So wind speed is around 45 to 50 knots. So so 45 to 50 knots, you're looking at uh, 50 to 60 miles per hour. That is so fast. That, that is so fast. So that's how much wind you've got. It's windy. There are small stones, not just sand being blown around. You wear ski goggles because it's it's pretty uncomfy on the eyes. Um, and And so once you hit wind speed, you're then in that in that sort of zone whereby it's it's almost quiet <laughs> it's, it's it's a weird place to be because you're not you're not being you're not being pushed by the wind anymore. Not that you're being pushed by the wind, you're being sucked by it. But, you know, you're not being pushed by the wind um, in, in that sense. You're you're at one with the wind because you're going as fast as the wind. So the sail becomes light. The work becomes relatively easy. Um, and you're, you're just trying to make the tiniest of changes so as not to unsettle your craft. Um, so, somewhat like, I, I imagine, sort of being on a dressage horse or something. The, the smallest of changes so that the, the beast underneath you just moves a little bit. But actually, anybody watching wouldn't, wouldn't notice those changes, even on a slow-mo camera. They would, be, you know, they would be really very, very small changes. And of course, they happen quickly. It sounds awesome and terrifying all at the exact same time. (laughs) I think think that's a good way to describe it. Windsurfing seems like one of those sports I just don't understand how people get into. I mean, how does someone just pick up something like riding a water rocket ship? Zara credits her father for that. Back in 1979, when she was 13, her family went on vacation in France. One day, her dad introduced her to windsurfing, and Zara immediately fell in love with it. It was quite hard, my dad. You know, he was quite keen that if I was going to learn something, I was going to be keen. So I actually started learning in Bristol Docks, which is not that far from here, where I am now. And... um, he, uh, I wanted a wetsuit. And, you know, things have come down a lot in price. Wetsuits were expensive then. My first wetsuit cost £120. So this was in, you know, 1979, 1980. That was a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and he said to me, buy me a wetsuit if I learnt to windsurf over the winter. So, <laughs> so I, le- I learned in Bristol docks over the winter in my swimsuit. Oh. So I was pretty keen. Wow. Um, but I, we needed a better board. Um, I wanted a high fly seven hundred. Then that was the the board of choice. Uh, had foot straps and everything, and uh, we didn't really have the money to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I got poorly, so um, I had glandular fever. Uh, I had a heart murmur, and they said I had to stop all sport. When Zara was twenty eight, she accompanied her boss to a post work windsurfing event. Yes, those are things that actually exist. Zara got on a board for the first time since she was a teenager. And while she was rekindling that flame, she started to stoke a different kind of fire. 
I met my husband, uh, or obviously future husband at that point, and uh, he was one of the sailors that was sponsored at the lake. So he was a real expert sailor. Uh-huh. And um, I, I met him and, and you know, we, we got together, ultimately got married, and, and he encouraged me to to really improve my sailing. And, and from minute one, really, I, I was just quick over the water and loved it. So uh, tell me a little bit more about that, that first day back on on the board when you were 28 um yeah uh, that was it was an evening actually uh it was after work um summer's evening and um they ran a sort of a small race series i think it was probably a wednesday night they're sort of wednesday night racing at brogborough lake and i borrowed some beginner kit and uh off i went and surprisingly you know i could the kit was so much better. I mean, that was the first thing. Yeah. When I learned in 79, it was triangular sails, booms as long as the board. I mean, it took two of you to carry the board to the water. They were heavy and uh, unwieldy things. You know, we, we managed to um, to get out on the water and, and ha- had a, just a lovely evening. I have to say there wasn't a lot of wind, which probably played into my hands um, because it was quite a relatively still night. So I sort of wobbled around, really. But it sort of reignited my love for windsurfing. And, um, you know, that's where it started again. And I started, you know, I improved and slowly got a little bit better. And then when I started seeing Pete, he had equipment. Right. So I sort of never really had to buy my own gear. I, I sailed his gear, although it wasn't really suitable gear for a beginner. But you know, it was always that, well, you'll be better soon. You don't need beginner's gear. Um, uh, that is the, the wrong approach, move. I have yeah. to say. Yeah. I would recommend anybody today, don't listen to your partner. Get some gear for beginners. Do not learn the hard way. <laughs> uh, so in those earliest moments with the sport, is there is there like a memory that stands out? I, I'm not sure that it, it necessarily was that night. It was accumulation of times that we sailed. I think, you know, the club did some trips down to Portland Harbour. Um, so we had some opportunity to sail down there. So there was a variety of occasions where we got the chance. They they did some trips to Egypt, to Dahab. Um, we went as a club. So actually, it was over probably many months that really ignited my passion again for it. The thing is with windsurfing is every time you go, it's very different. So sometimes, like a lot of sports, it can be incredibly frustrating, either because of the weather or because because you're not just feeling it that particular time. Yeah. There was one occasion when Pete and I actually, we went out together. We hadn't been going out together very long. Um, and we went to the Teen River of all places. I'm not known for its windsurfing, really. We went to this place called Coombe Cellars. And I just couldn't get it going, couldn't quite get really planing. It would never quite lift up over its own little bow wave and get onto the plane. And I, you know, I couldn't understand it. He said, you've got to stand here, you've got to do this, you've got to pump there, you've got to go downwind, you've got to, and loads of instructions. And I, I tried to follow all of those things and, and it just wasn't happening. And that particular day, he let me use his board. Now, his board was super duper extra light, mistral explosion, I remember at the time. Uh, lots of money's worth. You know, and he was like, oh, God, yeah, use my board. And literally within a minute, I was planing. And I'm just like, I'm never using the rubbish board I've got again. I'm going to keep hold of this one. And it was just that moment of really, I probably wasn't actually going that quickly, but blimey, it felt like it. Um, I was really flying across the water. It was relatively flat. We were we were up a river and the, the wind was going straight up and down the river. So we were literally sailing backwards and forwards across the river. And, you know, suddenly I was planing. And Pete was, of course, because we only had the two boards, Pete was sailing my board, going considerably slower and saying, this board's 
yours rubbish. I'm going to get you another one. <laughs> so I think he realised that, you know, I'd been struggling for months trying to get over this hurdle. And, and suddenly in this place that really wasn't known, but we were there for the weekend visiting family, really, rather than actually going to windsurf. And and suddenly, because I'd used his board, I, I, I sort of stepped up a gear. Um, and that was the, the turning point, really, to me, you know, thinking, OK, I can really do this. Pete and Zara moved to the coast of England, where they sailed together recreationally as much as they could. You know how some people get home from work and go to the gym or for a run or a bike ride? Well, that was windsurfing for them. And they even planned vacations around the sport to places like Egypt and Greece, Tenerife and even Maui. Mostly these vacations were focused on races that Pete was competing in. But during a trip to the Canary Islands... That all changed for Zara on a complete whim. Sotavento was um, one of the places in the 90s where a couple of world records were broken. And um, they held the world championships there. So this would be 2004, 2005. And um, Pete managed to get a place to get in. So, you know, I went, obviously went along. It's a windsurfing holiday. It was brilliant. And, and I enjoyed it. But I never really thought about entering. And then um, there was an opportunity for girls. They were keen for girls to enter. The, the girls' fleet was relatively small. It was only, I think there were 15 girls. And, um, you know, I was there. I, I thought about entering the slalom as well. I think I did enter the slalom. And they encouraged me. And I thought, OK, well, let's, let's, let's go for it. And I did much, much better than I expected to. So I came fifth overall against, you know, a bunch of really full-time professional windsurfers. Wow. So, um, so yeah, to be in the sort of top third of the fleet, I mean, I was not on the podium, but, you know, to be honest, you know, I'd really not done any speed sailing. Um, I, I, you know, I was had equipment that was very much inferior to, to the other girls in the competition. So I think, you know, I just demonstrated that I had something that could get me along the, the water quickly. So uh, we decided at that point that maybe I should concentrate on it a bit more. And so we did some more training, got some more kit, and, um, and then, you know, the rest is history. Zara got lighter equipment, trained rigorously, and focused on speed competitions. And it's worth noting here that Zara was fitting her training sessions around her full-time job. She was, and still is, an osteopath and acupuncturist. Zara was intent on breaking records. And with training, she got faster, and then faster still. The results stacked up. But that doesn't mean she doesn't make mistakes. I quite like having a little bit of a crash and not really hurting yourself because you you sort of know then that you feel much more invincible, which is probably not a great thing to feel. But it does you make you feel more faster. invincible when you crash. Oh yeah, for sure. I love to have a crash early in competition because that is if you have a, if you have a <laughs> crash and, to me. if you have Sorry. a crash and live, then you know that it's fine. You're probably not going to have another one. <laughs> That's so funny. How was your vacation? Oh, pretty good. Broke my nose, got some black eyes, and I'm all sunburned. Yeah. Loved it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit like that. Even though she enjoys them, Zara's career isn't riddled with notable crashes. It's peppered with tons of achievements. I've had, you know, really so many fantastic times where, you know, it's, it's really been a massive highlight. I suppose probably... The first one to mention is is the first time I broke the world record um, in 2012. Um, mm. That was phenomenal. I did hold the mile world record at the time, but 
that was sort of almost by accident back in 2006. Okay, I, I, I didn't out. How does yeah. one accidentally get a world record? Because well, I've accidentally like hit my head on a ceiling fan, but I've yeah. never accidentally won a world record. So I'm very interested to hear this story. Well, th- this was a 2006 we were in uh, Namibia, and um, we were there for the World 500 Meter Championships, and I'd come third, and uh, which I was delighted with you know, to be on the podium against the, the, the you know the two other girls that were ahead of me were fa- were fantastic, and we'd as a group decided to stay on to see if there'd be an opportunity to do the mile world record. And um, one of the things about world records is it's it's not something that you can you can just go oh, I'm going I'm going to do it tomorrow. Uh-huh. It has to be ratified by the World Sailing um, Speed Record Council. Uh-huh. So they have to have a commissioner on site. Um, so the commissioner has to check that your you know that your equipment complies, that you are who you say you are, that you're actually the person on the course. The course has been surveyed correctly by a registered surveyor, and that the cameras have been set at the right angle so they couldn't measure inwards, so that they could make the course shorter, and that the person doing the timing is doing it right and has to check that the, the timing field. So, you know, there's quite a lot of work for the commissioner to do. So. We'd planned this in advance um, and there was a commissioner on site and if the weather was good enough, we'd have a go at breaking the world record. But I didn't really think that I had any chance of of breaking it. It was only really my second year of competing um, in speed at that level. I'd come third. You know, I was getting better, but I, I still felt that I had a long way to go. And... Um, you know, we we went out and, you know, I, I was enjoying it. The water was flat. It was windy. It was warm. There's quite a lot of jellyfish in the water. That bit wasn't so good. But um, and um, <laughs> there's a big, big jellyfish in uh, in Welvis Bay. They're like dustbins. So oh we, we, were, we were sailing and it, in speed sailing you, you, in, in a mile, it's it's a long way. So it takes about a minute and a half. So you're you're sailing down the course, and then you've got to sail back upwind to get to the start to, to do it again. Um, it's quite tiring because by the time you've sailed back up to the start and then done another run, you know it's probably a good twenty to thirty minutes to get back up. So we'd been on the water for sort of two and a half hours, and uh, suddenly I was uh, got to the middle of the course where the where the timing hut was, and I could see my husband Pete jumping up and down, waving his arms around. He's pointing at the scoreboard, waving his arms, and I'm thinking, what's he what's he talking about? And I I can see him, but of course. The, the wind is offshore, so my back is to him, really. I'm having to sort of twist to see him, and I'm, I'm sailing back up, and I'm thinking, does he want me to come to shore? Should I come to shore? So I think, oh, okay, he obviously wants me to come back in. I don't know what he wants. Let's let's go and have a look. Um, so in you, in I come, and then Pete's leaping around. He said, you broke the world record, you know, and I go, what? <laughs> Um, yeah, super exciting. So as I say, it sort of was it, was, it was a bit of an accident. I really didn't think that it was possible. But it spurred me on to think that I, you know, I could could get there. For her next surfing goal, Zara wanted to break the 500 meter world speed record. At the time, it was held by a highly decorated, very well-respected female sailor. Her name is Karen Yagi. In 2012, Zara and her husband traveled to Luteritz. That's on the coast of Namibia. 
To me, traveling halfway around the earth to try to break a world record just doesn't seem like a modest goal. But for Zara, this was just a logical, incremental step from what she had just accomplished. Like, if for instance, on a Saturday, I ate something like 13 donuts, eating 14 on a Sunday just wouldn't seem like that big of a deal. I said to Pete, he'd asked me what I wanted to achieve. And I said, you know, really, the best thing that, you know, I could start with would be would be 40 knots. Because 40 knots, only two women ever, Karen and, and another lady called Babette, had been over 40 knots. And I thought to be the third woman over 40 knots would be pretty cool. So uh, that was my start. And, and then after 40 knots, I thought, well, if I could get to 40 knots, maybe I could get to Karen's record at 41.25 and break the world record. Um, and then if I managed to achieve that, maybe I could get to 43 knots and 43 knots is 50 miles per hour. <laughs> so 50 miles per hour is just a nice round number to talk about. Right. So I thought, you know, if I could get to 43 you know, knots, that would be brilliant. And um, so that that was where really the, the sort of modest goal setting went on. It was just really about trying to be realistic about where I thought I was in the in the sort of speed sailing world and, and what that the kit could probably do. And potentially, we didn't know the site either. Nobody had ever sailed this canal. We, we didn't know whether it worked. Um, we didn't know whether we'd be able to stop at the end. The, the, there was a, an awful lot of problems with stopping. They gave us about 80 metres to stop in, which when you're travelling at 26 metres a second doesn't give you an awful lot of time Jesus. to stop. And the wind is oh taking you God. that way. So you've got no brakes, you know. You, it's, it's, stopping was, was really, really difficult. So, so really to have something realistic to aim for was good for me because it kept me sort of grounded and quite calm and, and you know, not getting too big for my boots. And 2012, we were very lucky. We had day after day of, of, of you know, very good conditions, as I say, sort of three or four days, and then you get a gap of three or four days, and then you have another three or four days. So we'd had... We'd had many, many days of good competition. And for me, it was it in 2012, it was about me getting better. So without a doubt, you know, I, I went over 40 knots and then I broke Karen's record and then I went over 43 knots and then I went over 44 knots and then I went over 45 knots. And, and you know, it was that gradual progression week by week as I as I improved my technique and, and got to be a better sailor. What did it feel like? In 2012, when you hit all the three of those goals. <laughs> it was amazing. Um, I came back and just gave my husband, a, well, I just gave everybody a big hug, I think. It was everybody on the beach. You know, it was lots of high fives. Um, I'm not a drinker, um, but I think somebody managed to make me have a tequila shot. And uh, there were lots of high fives, lots of whooping. And uh, and then that sort of, you just sit there and the, and the energy sapped out of you. You know, you just feel like, I'm not sure I can do another run. I've, I, you know, I'm done. <laughs> and then... You know, so I'm, I, I've got to imagine that it's like, it's a mixture of like, oh my God, I can't believe did, I did this and like incredible elation. And then Karen Yagi breaks this record in 2015. What did it feel like to lose it? Oh. <laughs> Coming up after the break, how Zara used modest goal setting to regain her world title.
Zara set the 500-meter world speed record in 2012. And then, in 2015, Karen Yagi, that's the windsurfer who held the record before Zara broke it, decided to try to take it back. Karen went to Luteritz to that same canal to attempt to best Zara's record. Zara found out the results when she arrived home after a long day at work. And my husband was there with, a, <laughs> with some flowers, and I thought, oh... <laughs> <laughs> that, that's not good. And I, I just looked at him kind of went, like, here, this yeah. is for the funeral. Yeah. <laughs> he said, mm, sorry, but she's got it. And I went, damn. <laughs> so. Um, Were you crushed? So, yeah, records are there to be broken, you know. Um, right, yeah, th- yeah. You set something and you hope it might last a while. But but at the end of the day, the, the, the kit gets better, the, the conditions yield, and there's that little bit of luck involved. And you have to just say, I'm proud to have held it. And my name will forever be in the history books and somebody's taken it. And, you know, at that point, you think... Actually, at that point, I knew that I would then go back. But when you hold the record, it's quite an expensive thing. It's very difficult to get um, sponsorship for women in sport generally. And for for women in a minority sport, where we're the minority in a minority sport, it's very difficult to get sponsorship. So though I have great, great kit sponsors, I basically pay my own way to get there. And when you hold the record, you've got less to talk about breaking your own record. So we thought we'd take a couple of years out um, and um, and save some more money to go again. But I knew that I would have to go back. In 2017, Zara went back to Luteritz to attempt a new world record. And even though Zara had trained a lot, there was a chance conditions on the water just wouldn't be favorable, meaning she could just get completely shut down. It's not about can we do it. Mm -hmm. It's about are all the things going to yield that mean you can do it. Mm -hmm. So you have to be on it. Your kit has to be set up just right that day. You, you know, you have to be lucky. The weather has to yield and you have to be lucky with that that weather, that moment where there's a soft spot in the middle of the course quite often. And you just have to have that extra gust to take you through that bit, you know, and that you you can't predict that. You, you can't you can't you can wish for it, but you, there's no way you can control it. So you get this window of opportunity. So that it's windy from between two and five ish. But within that two and five, two to five window, you've got maybe half an hour when it's really windy. And then within that, you've got 10 minutes when it's the right angle and the perfect run, if you're lucky. So you, when, when you're in that zone, in that moment when it's good for you for whatever reason, you've got to go. So you, you, you're at about 90 degrees for the winter start. And then in order to, to, to aim for the course, you've got to turn a corner. And it, it's at that point that you slingshot out of the corner that, that is the point where you feel like you're a cork shot out of a bottle um, or, you know, a rocket. You really are fired down the course, hopefully. I mean, you always hope that there's going to be a big gust um, at that corner. That's a bit of luck. You have to do a few runs and then, you know, one run out of five, you'll you'll get that gust on the corner. So I just started circling as fast as I could and went quick enough and went 46, 49, which was, um, which was enough to break the record. Okay. 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 That is the most English response to breaking a world record ever. Let's just, let's take a second to put this into context here. Zara blasted 500 meters at 46.49 knots. That's like 
five and a half football fields at over 53 miles an hour standing on a really sleek looking ironing board. That is bonkers. So, Elizabeth, Mm -hmm. I think you and I should watch a video of this and explain to everybody out there just how insane this accomplishment actually is. So, basically, okay, what we're seeing is it's this long, narrow canal. Mm -hmm. On one side, there's like, it looks like a row of sandbags that's like I guess marking the edge. It looks like she's wearing like body armor, like a like a flak jacket. She's wearing a helmet. She's wearing what looks like ski goggles. So she's going very fast. She's leaning pretty far back. She's smiling, which is like crazy. Because if I were going that fast, I I don't even think my brain would like process anything. But no, like yeah. do not die. Like You're I wouldn't have time to smile. You're moving faster than your brain can move. And, okay, how about the wake? Like when they show the overhead camera angle the wake that the board is creating looks like uh one of those like speedboats that flies like a bajillion miles an hour yeah like, it looks like it looks like she could tow a tugboat behind her she's moving so fast how wide would you say this canal is because it it's one patty it's length. not like she could do all these zigzaggy moves and be fine like right no she's she not turning to, she is pointing yeah she's just straight. going straight down the straight canal yeah. and if she were to turn slightly at like an angle or so it looks like within like a second or two she would crash into the side of this canal. oh not even a second or two like she's it's like she any kind of like little movement and she's there man yeah like and then how about when she just like at the end she's like okay i have to stop so she just lays it down and then she stands up and she's only in knee deep water like yeah, that. <laughs> um i'm sorry what <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to, what are you going to do today? Oh, I don't know. I was going to make a sandwich. What are you going to do? I'm going to go 50 bajillion miles per hour on like, you know, water as deep as a Dixie cup. What are you even talking about? <laughs> it's insanity. It looks crazy. Dude. Yes. Yeah. So I, so this is the, here's my thing here. Like, okay. So we both agree that this is totally, completely insane. It mm-hmm. sounds insane. It looks insane. And even during the interview, like I couldn't help but wonder, Okay, modest goal setting. Hmm, how in the hell is this about modest goal setting? We're talking about a world record here. A world record in which you are flying across the water at 50 plus miles per hour. How is anything about this modest? But again, for Zara, it goes back to incremental steps. I do better with the sort of praise and the success and that suits my personality and I feel that you know when I've achieved one goal I can set another one a little bit further ahead and then a little bit further ahead I don't think you necessarily need to set one miles ahead because it's it makes it so difficult to reach that very quickly disappointment can knock you back uh, and then the risk is that you don't you don't try uh, to, to reach it anymore is is Mata's goal setting? due to the fact that you just you just have so many things on your plate? Yeah, I think that's, that's partly true. Um, and also, I think as well, I have something else in my life which is really important to me. I'm a good osteopath. I run a, you know, a lovely clinic. I have 20 therapists who work with me. I'm responsible for, you know, making sure that the business moves forward every day. So when you have those sorts of responsibilities, you know, windsurfing is important, 
but it's not the only thing that's in your life. The disadvantage I have is that I don't windsurf every day. I'm lucky if I windsurf 40 days a year. Um, so for, for me, you know, windsurfing is, is, is something that I absolutely love, but I can't do very often um, because my lifestyle doesn't suit it. But maybe that's a strength too in, in the sense that you can be you know, good at something and focused at something, but because it's not your whole world, you're a little bit more relaxed about it. How does modest goal setting help us? It gives us a framework and and something that's real uh, and reality to help us shape whatever we intend to do. And that doesn't necessarily need to be sport. Um, That could be in life generally. Now, there are those who in order to reach their potential, need to set lofty goals. I don't think I'm one of those. It was a sort of accident that I ended up here. I'm not quite sure how a girl from Clevedon who windsurfs part-time ended up as number one in the world. Um, and uh, it, it just sort of fell there. Um, so I, I, feel, I feel very fortunate, very fortunate that my dad, introduced me to windsurfing right. all those years ago and sadly he's no longer with us and he's he's never seen my success which is which is something that really is is very sad for me i wished that he was alive to see it because he started the journey and i think that i i, I sort of forget sometimes you know I, I people talk about it almost as if it isn't me i can't quite believe that I was the one that achieved those things. I'm so ordinary and so normal um, and live such a normal life. And yet there there we are. They they are there. So I'm lucky, I think, because they're not the only thing that's in my life. They're not the only thing I've achieved. And um, I'm sure there's there's more that I will do in my life. Do you have any other goals? I think, you know, probably my next goal, my next big goal would be to forward loop. So I want to be able to do a forward somersault with my kit and obviously land, survive, not go to hospital and sail off. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's my next big goal in windsurfing. I may not break any more world records. Who knows? I hope that I'm going to be able to windsurf until I fall off the perch. Um, you know, in fact, I'd like to. I'd like to snuff it windsurfing. You know, um, uh, you know, if if you get if you're going to drop dead, you might as well be out on on the ocean on on a windsurf board. Okay, so. As I mentioned at the top of the show, I have some goals for this summer and fall. No, not another ultra. I mean, running 31 miles in one shot during training was cool, I guess. Not really, but my knee exploded two weeks before that race and I had to get surgery. So I don't know. I think I'm good on the whole ultra marathon thing. (laughs) What I want to do this summer is hike and run from Aspen to Crested Butte. Plus, I've, I've been feeling like this need for a big, uncomfortable adventure. So I have some plans to do my first bikepacking trip with some pals this fall. So how do you think talking with Zara helped with how you plan to approach these goals? I think it's just what she was describing on how to aim for the achievable things, right? And then really, truly just enjoying the ride of going for them, you know, not letting the goal or the pursuit of the goal define me, 
rather focus on the doing of the thing and just enjoying the try. Yeah. So then maybe if you don't complete that hike or run or whatever, that's okay because maybe you achieve something else along the way. Like maybe you run farther in one day than you ever had before. No, I don't want to do that. Like that 31 miles, like okay, I cried. That was a I cried when example, I finished, like ugly Daddy, cried, like I couldn't example. stop, like weeping, like weeping. And then the amount of food I stuffed into my body was actually quite concerning. I mean, it All was right. like well, very gross. And that's today's show. No, no, Thanks no. Thanks for listening, everyone. Elizabeth, seriously, like, do you know what happens to your body when you ingest like eight large pizzas and then you just like put your whole, like, you ever seen a hot dog sweat in a microwave? Essentially, that's, that's what I did. Oh, dear God. <laughs> You've been listening to Safety Third. Our guest today was Zara Davis. And to learn more about what she's doing, check out her Instagram at windsurferzara or her website, www.zaradavis.co.uk. If you like today's show, you can get the word out. You know, Safety Third is kind of like sunscreen at a nudist colony. It just makes sense to let everyone know about it. So grab your crew and spread it on, pals. Tell your friends and fam, and if you have an idea for a guest, send us an email at hello at safetythirdpodcast.com. You can find us on Instagram at safetythird underscore podcast and on the old interwebs at safetythirdpodcast.com. Safety Third is produced by Elizabeth Nakano. Cordelia Zars edited this episode. Additional production help from T-Bone Tune Studio. Music by my big brother, Brendan. I used to give myself wedgies, O'Connell. Art Direction by Anya Miller-Berg. Fitz Cahal is our creative director. Becca Cahal is our executive producer. And I'm your host, Patty O'Connell. Okie dokie, my friends. Until next time, keep it tight, keep it loose, and remember, safety third. Thank you.